Hello, friends and family. This is Mary Smith. I am the author and recorder of this podcast, An Educator's Legacy. Uh, We're just doing it straight up anymore, guys, because nobody's really listening anyway. So I'm going to say what I want, and then I'm going to do what I want. So if you don't like it, hit pause, hit stop, exit now. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Some people don't believe in Santa Claus. Personally, I do. Santa represents the spirit of generosity, love, kindness, joy, and forgiveness, like Jesus Christ, my personal Lord and Savior. In the end, it doesn't matter what I believe or what you believe. Our job is to teach. So what does that have to do with Santa? Picture this. It's the early 90s. It's a second grade classroom surrounded by three other classrooms. Um, that It was an open concept school, so there were no walls. They were only separated by a couple of cabinets so that you could see everything that's going on around you. It is the week before we get out for Christmas break, and the Christmas party is coming up in the next day or two. And the students, of course, are all hyped up and excited about Santa Claus and what is he going to bring them. And you know, you know how second and third graders are. Well, our room, my room, was close to this teacher's room, like the next room over. And so I, got, I had a pretty good visual of what was going on all the time over there. She was okay. She had a difficult time fitting in, she being the teacher, had a difficult time fitting in with the other teachers She was just a little odd, um, I guess you would say, or socially awkward, maybe a better term. She was um, mid-30s, a couple of kids of her own, um, and new to the school, the district, and the state of Texas. So part of the problem is that she didn't understand our culture at all. One of the kids, though, was arguing with another kid in her room, and because the one child had asserted that there was no such thing as Santa. And they were fixing to have a fist fight because one of them was saying, uh, yeah, there is. And the other was saying, uh, no, there's not. My parents already told me there's not. And so they were about to have a fist fight and she intervenes and asks what's going on. And she does this in front of the whole class because they're obviously getting out of control. And I can hear her because she's raised her voice to ask these kids, these two boys, what's going on because they were honestly getting loud and all of us were starting to look at what was going on in her room because they were being disruptive to our rooms. And so she asked them, what is going on? And one of the little boys spoke up and said, he said there's no such thing as Santa. And the other little boy says, there's not My parents told me there's no such thing as Santa. And they look at the teacher and they said, Miss, is there a Santa Claus or not? And she stood there and kind of regained her composure a little bit, lowered her voice just a smidge, not a lot. She said, no, there's no such thing as Santa. It is your parents. Santa Claus is not real. And upon saying that, 
all of her kids, almost all of them, except for the one that was right, uh, burst into tears because they were second grade. They were seven years old. And her confirming that there was no Santa had just destroyed the bubble on every one of those little children's minds. So now she's got a classroom full of kids crying. And um, I wasn't exactly sure what was going on. I'm not sure anybody really was because we didn't. Honestly, I'd gone back to teaching and I wasn't really paying that much attention. But somebody called the office and the administrators come down to find out why all the kids in her class are crying. And it turns out um, she had indeed acknowledged that there was no such thing as Santa. So here's the facts and the results of her telling the kids there was no such thing as Santa Claus. Number one, the teacher mishandled the situation and she spoke out of turn. She should have never told those kids that there was no such thing as Santa. If she hadn't done that, a lot of people would have cut her a lot more slack. But instead, she did mean, uh, decide to tell them that because that was her personal belief. She was allowing her personal beliefs to interfere with um, what was going on in her classroom. Honestly, her job is to teach. It's not to uh, share uh, that kind of information or, for that matter, her personal opinion. Our opinion should not be shared in class. Um, we should be teaching facts and uh, instruct, using instructional strategies to teach things that are non-negotiables, uh, like grammar and spelling and reading. We're teaching them how to think, not what to think. That's what it boils down to. The effects of this behavior were upset children, upset parents, and upset peer teachers, and an upset admin team because now they've got to do damage control in the community and within the school itself. You would not believe the ripple effect that that one action had over the entire school because the peer teachers, all of us that were um, working in the school, I would say a good majority of us, if not, I mean, at least 75, 80%, probably closer to 90% of the teachers wore a shirt the next day that said, I believe, because it circulated around what had happened at the end of the day on the day that it happened, circled around and everybody was so stinking stunned and somebody came up with the idea of, well, let's just wear shirts tomorrow that says, I believe. And all of us, me included, went out and bought a shirt that said, I believe, and we wore the shirts to school the next day. And if that's not an act of solidarity against her and an act of bullying, I don't know what is. It's, it was our passive-aggressive way of saying, you don't do that kind of crap when you're in school. So she called in sick the day of the party, which was the next day, and then she never returned. She put in her resignation over, this, over the Christmas break. And we basically, we pushed her out of the school. So what can we learn from this whole situation? Number one, we need to be aware of how we interact with our students and the things that we say. You can't just say anything. And it's okay to step back every now and then, especially if you don't know the answer, and just sit there quietly and give your time yourself time to process 
and think. If worse comes to worse, when a student asks you something that you don't know how to answer, you respond with, let me get back with you on that. I will tell you that there were times like when at Easter time when the kids would ask me, why do we celebrate Easter or why are we celebrating Christmas or whatever? I would tell them the reason that we're traditionally celebrating it and that it's my personal belief, but then I would always follow it up with, you need to go home and ask your mom and dad why you celebrate it because your family beliefs may be different than mine because it's not right for us to share our beliefs without allowing their parents to be the greater influence, even though nine times out of 10, we spend more time with them and have a greater influence on them sometimes than their parents do. But it's their parents are passing down their beliefs with their children. We just get to borrow them for a little while. Also, we need to be aware of how do we interact with our peer teachers and the things that we say and do. Because that one act of us all wearing the I Believe t-shirt just really, really, I'm sure, caused her a lot of grief. She came to school. She felt betrayed. She felt um, belittled. And I'm sure there's all kinds of emotions that she was going through that I'm not even emotionally mature enough to acknowledge. But I know it couldn't have been an easy day when you walk into a building and everybody's wearing a shirt that says, I believe. So kudos to her for finishing out the day. However, um, sometimes those are conse- there's consequences to your actions. And that was a consequence to her action. Uh, not to say that it was right, because it was not. We were bullying her. But by the same token, and there, and there really is no but, there's no excuse We need to be aware of how we interact with our peer teachers and the things we say and do. As a staff, we could have handled it a whole lot differently. We could have been a lot more tolerant. We could have allowed her to to give an explanation or to at least try to defend herself, and none of that even happened. In fact, everybody pretty much quit talking to her after they found out that she had told the children there was no Santa. Teacher was wrong to tell the kids about um, her beliefs in Santa, but then we turned on her. And so that just made a bad situation even worse because the admin had to go from uh, doing damage control with students and parents to doing damage control within the school itself. The peer teachers were wrong in in passive-aggressive bullying like I, I discussed earlier. We created another problem for our admin team to have to deal with because we had turned on her and not even really given her a chance. And we should be modeling our expectations. If we are going to expect kindness and tolerance and forgiveness um, among our students, we should be modeling that. There's so many times that we ask them to be kind, be tolerant, forgive your friends. Y'all be friends. Just be friends. Yet we don't follow the same rules. So there were a lot of lessons that we learned from that particular situation. Um, I'm sure it was difficult for that teacher. None of us actually ever heard from her or saw her again. So I have no idea what actually happened to her. But that's one of those fatal errors, you know, like the 
blue screen of death that you get on your computer, there's just no coming back from, at least in that particular day and age. How do we demonstrate kindness, tolerance, and forgiveness between our staff members and each other? Because we all know that everyone has different life experiences. We all walk through the door with different um, pasts, with uh, maybe similar situations have happened to us, yet we respond differently. All of us have baggage that controls our emotions and that um, limits us on how we view the world and what our lens looks like. We need to allow for differences between us. We don't all have to agree. We can agree to disagree, and we can agree to disagree respectfully. Just because your opinion is different than mine doesn't mean that I have to dislike you or that I have to hate you. It just means that we have a difference of opinion. That's why I never talk politics. I never talk politics with other people. I love my friends. And honestly, I don't want my view of them to be tainted based on their political belief if it's different than mine. So how do, you, how do I avoid that situation? I just don't talk politics. Another thing is, is that we need to respond instead of reacting. A response is a controlled, measured behavior that you've actually thought about that is not impulsive um, and driven by emotion because that's what a reaction is. Reactions are typically drama-filled and driven by emotion. My acronym for drama is doesn't respond as a mature adult. Drama. They don't respond as a mature adult. They fly off the handle when they hear something they disagree with, and that's just crazy. It's okay to step back and say, whoa, wait, what? And then think about it for a little while. We also need to allow the offender the opportunity to redeem themselves. It doesn't really do us any good if we don't give people second chances. After all, we would want the opportunity to be offered a second chance if we screwed up royally because there's not one of us on the planet that hasn't screwed up royally at one time or another. I pray for the opportunity to redeem myself. And every single day when I say my prayers, one of the things that I pray is that God will continue to forgive me for the things that I keep doing over and over and over, even though I say I'm not going to do them. So we, we do need to allow the opportunity, the offender, the opportunity to have a second chance. Now, hopefully they're going to offer you an apology, but, or whoever they've offended, hopefully they'll offer an apology, but sometimes they don't. And if they don't, then it, you need to just let it go because that's, you're allowing them to have control over you. Because if you think about it, the person that you dislike the most and that angers you the most is the one that has the most control over you. And then sometimes you just have to make the decision that you're going to, that's someone you just don't want to spend a lot of time with, that you don't want to spend a lot of time being around. I'm very, very particular in my friends, 
And there's some people that I meet and I know right off the bat that we're not going to be very good friends because I think they have character flaws or something, or I don't trust them, or it gives me a bad feeling in my gut that makes me go, wait, Anna, this is not a good person. I, this is not someone that I'm going to enjoy spending my time with. I want to surround myself with people who are going to lift me up and who are going to allow me to lift them up. I want to surround myself with people who are positive, not negative. I want to surround my people, myself with people who are looking for the good, not looking for the bad. Because John Maxwell says that you are the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. So look at your circle of five and see who are you spending the most time with? Because that is the truth. Whoever you're spending the most time with, that's what you're going to become eventually. So I choose very carefully. I pick and choose my friends. And you can do the same thing too. And it's not, sometimes you can, it's difficult to do. But it can be done. Fortunately, for the most part, as adults, we get to choose who we spend our time with. If you have to work with someone you don't particularly care for, make a change next year. If your family dynamics are negative and you'd like to see a change there, I want to encourage you to be the change. Once they see a demonstrated change in you, they may be able to make a change in themselves. There's always a solution to the problem. And remember, everyone has different life experiences and different baggage and different pasts that follow them. Allow us to have differences amongst ourselves. Remember to respond instead of react. Response means that you are going to have a controlled, measured response as opposed to an emotionally driven reaction. And allow other people a second chance. Give them the opportunity to redeem themselves. Tune in next week for episode nine titled Wardrobe Malfunction. Until then, go out and leave your legacy. Y'all, big, big news. This format of podcasting that I've been doing is about to end. In January, I'm beginning interviews with educators who have made a significant impact to the field of education. I am so stinking excited to announce that my very first interview is with none other than world-famous Pete Hall of Hall Education. Pete, Alyssa Simmerall, and I have been working on a book together titled Reflective Impact Journal, Pursuing Greatness Every Day. It's due to be released in January as well. Pete agreed to be my very first interviewee. In this episode, you're going to learn about Pete the man as well as Pete the educator. It truly is an awesome interview. I know you're going to love it. So join me in January for Pete Hall, the man, the myth, the legend. Oh, thank you.